What keeps you up at night is brought to you by Plastics News, the essential news source for the plastics industry. Did you know the Plastics News data store has dozens of rankings and lists to help drive your market intelligence? The Plastics News data store has information your business needs. Find out more at plasticsnews.com data lists. I'm Brennan Lafferty, publisher of Plastics News. This is What Keeps You Up at Night. My guest this week, Brennan Ben Real, president and CEO at GW Plastics in Bethel, Vermont. Real is a leader in his home state, where he's part of the governor's team outlining safety protocols for manufacturers as part of the COVID restart. Real and GW are also global leaders with facilities around the world, which gave them the insight to prepare their workforce for the pandemic. The result? Zero outbreaks at any GW facility. With 90% of its business in the medical space, GW is humming. Two recent expansions and a focus on education for its employees and its customers has real optimistic about the future of a still-growing GW. It's June 17th. What Keeps You Up at Night begins now. Ben Real joins me from Bethel, Vermont, where GW Plastics is headquartered. Hi, Ben. Thanks for joining me today. Hey, Brennan. How you doing today? Oh, wonderful, wonderful. Good, good. Well, and I think health is is on everybody's mind. Um, how is the health of the team at GW? How's everybody doing there? You know, we're doing well. As you know, we're a global company, and uh, we've got uh, four locations in the U.S., one in Mexico, one in Ireland, and, and importantly, one in China as well. And so we had a little bit of a window uh, into the COVID world uh, because of our operation in southern China. And it allowed us um, to prepare probably a little bit earlier than most companies uh, because of our sort of knowledge of what was going on on the ground in China. And so um, as a result of that, we were able to, you know, put COVID protection programs in place uh, for our, you know, our global workforce. And I'm happy to say that we haven't had a COVID outbreak in any of our facilities. Mm. We're completely masked up. We've been practicing social distancing for probably three months now and enhanced plant sanitation uh, and temperature taking and all those kinds of things that I think are important to keeping your your workforce uh, safe. So, you know, having that Having our operation in China uh, gave us a bit of a heads up in terms of a little time, perhaps a little bit more time to prepare than other folks had. So in terms of getting PPE and uh, and the kinds of things that you need to, as I said, keep your workforce safe. Sounds like you've got it down pat. Well, you know, we're trying. It's, uh, you know, this is an adventure for everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, one that I hope we don't have to repeat next year, but it's been working. And part of it is really communication and helping to, you know, making sure you have the right practices and the right equipment in place, but also making sure you're communicating with your associates and uh, and they're communicating with you. We have, for example, uh, and you have proper governance. You know, we have a, a chief safety officer that we appointed to this task from the very beginning. 
and we've been having you know uh, weekly Zoom conference calls across our entire platform, global platform, focusing in on making sure we're doing the right things and taking the right steps with respect to protecting our workforce and trying to comply with local, state, you know, and federal guidelines. So having the multiple locations that we have and the, sort of the different, looking at the different practices that we see, whether it's in Europe or in Mexico or in Asia uh, or the U.S. has sort of allowed us to bring those all together, coordinate them into sort of a process that's worked, uh, you know, reasonably well for us. So let me ask you about the U.S. specifically. I believe you were part of Vermont, the Vermont Governor's uh, 2020 Restart Vermont Manufacturing Working Group Team. If that's correct, can you give our listeners a little bit of insight? What did that involve? And uh, generally speaking, where is Vermont on uh, stay-at-home orders or, more importantly, back-to-work initiatives? Yeah, so the first part of your question is the governor formed a um, a get-back-to-work team and I, along with some other, a number of other manufacturing companies, leaders were asked to be a part of it, as well as uh, the Vermont Manufacturing Extension Center, which I'm an advisory board member to. And that's a, that is a, a, a body that basically supports and enhances advanced manufacturing in the state. Mm. And so they have a team with boots on the ground, and they were real contributors to the process where it essentially evolved weekly calls, uh, twice weekly calls sometimes in the heat of it, where we basically put together protocols uh, for manufacturers mm-hmm. for essential and non-essential. I don't really like that word, not essential. I believe everybody's essential, but sure. in Vermont, we did have to shut down. The governor did shut down a non-essential companies. So our task was to put together uh, get-back-to-work safe programs for everyone, particularly the non-essentials who hadn't been working and haven't been operating, to give them guidelines and so that they can get back to work um, safely. So it involved putting those protocols uh, together and working with the Department of Health, the Vermont Department of Health and the governor and his office to give everybody the confidence that we could do it and we can do it safely. You know, I was a big proponent to, to allow everybody to get back to work. I think we know what to do and uh, manufacturers generally run tight ships and they mm-hmm. care about their people and you know we've got to get this economy back and back and uh, up and running and so that was really the focus mm-hmm. to get the economy back up and running but do it safely so that really allowed us to um, you know that having that focus team reporting directly to the governor allowed us to, to to do that with respect to the state of Vermont we've really been leading the nation in terms of covid cases or the lack thereof right. we've you know, I think, you know, we're, we're a pretty rural state, so I think that helps. But we are also a five-hour drive from New York City and mm. two-and-a-half-hour drive to Boston and and uh, two-and-a-half to three hours to Montreal. So we are surrounded with states that have very, very high levels of COVID uh, cases. And despite that, we've, the governor and his staff and, you know, everyone in the state really has, have done a remarkable job in uh, keeping the number of cases um, low and the communities in which we work and live safe. And that, I think, allowed us to uh, to move a little bit more quickly, perhaps, in some other areas in other states in the country. So, we're, you know, we're going along the continuum, like many states. Um, you know, all manufacturers are open now for business. Mm-hmm. Um, restaurants are slowly opening, you know, with outside seating and hopefully transitioning to 
inside seating soon. So you know, it's it, it's uh, it's moving forward in a in a deliberate but productive way. So I'm encouraged. Yeah, I think there's yeah some encouraging news out today with the uh, Bureau of Labor Statistics job report. So uh, stock markets are appreciating that that surprise improved number as well. So yeah, you know, it's we got to get back to work, and you know, my message all along is we can do it, and we can do it safely. So you know, for example, in our company, we're all masked up, everybody mm. uh, throughout our entire platform. We were able to get on it early, and we were able to get PPE, PPE um, by acting quickly and. I think yeah, having that global platform, as I said earlier, gave us a little bit of an opportunity to move a little bit quicker, perhaps, than other folks. But, you know, we have proven that it can be done and it can be done safely. And if we can do it, you know, everyone can do it. And uh, as I said, I, uh, I'm i all about, you know, getting this economy moving forward as quickly, but also as safely as possible. For sure. Well, let's bring it back to GW. You continue to grow the footprint and capabilities there. Uh, tell us about the expansion of your silicone business. Plastics News reported you invested about $2 million in the growth of GW silicones. I guess my question is, what's prompting the uh, investment? So we have a great business with silicone. It's about a 10-year-old business. We have two industry professionals who are running it for us. And the business is um, primarily focused on healthcare. Business has actually been pretty COVID agnostic. We, we do a lot of diagnostic work. And so the business continues and respiratory care work and, and the business continues to grow year over year and has been since uh, we started up the operation as basically an incubation site uh, over 10 years ago. So now we've got a very sizable operation headquartered in Vermont. I think it's our third expansion, maybe our fourth. Hmm. And it's a great business with a great growth trajectory. And, you know, our customers are primarily Fortune 500, Fortune 1000 customers. And so, uh, you know, they're seeing the value in it as well. And we take a pretty unique sort of highly technical approach to silicones uh, with flashless molding. So highly automated, highly standardized, you know, sort of very uh, highly technical approach to tooling and to scientific molding. And, uh, you know, it's working for us. Yeah, it sounds like a good decision from 10 years ago. I'm sure you're glad you made the plunge then. So tell us about the tech center in Royalton. We also reported you increased the size of that facility by 30,000 square feet. Why the need for the increased space there? Yeah, so the tech center or process development center, the uh, 30,000 square foot was actually for our uh, clean room. Ah. Um molding operation, not the process development or tech center, but we did refresh our tech center. That's been around for a long time, and that facility specifically is designed to allow us to qualify new tooling before it goes to our production sites. It also doubles as a um, very effective training center for uh, our employees as well as our customers. Years ago, I used to work at GE Plastics when it was called GE Plastics. Right. I'm dating myself. And we had training centers. We had an application development training center in Detroit. We had one in Atlanta. And we had one in Pittsfield, Massachusetts. And basically, we invited customers in and we, we trained them on injection molding before there was scientific injection molding. Hmm. And so we, we took a little bit of a, a card out of that playbook and we institutionalized that in our process development center in Vermont, and so it's become a very, very effective training center, molding training center for our employees, 
and we also bring our customers in and uh, we teach them about scientific molding so that they can be more effective in terms of what they do from a supply chain point of view as they look at us and other companies there we sort of educate them in terms of what we're all about and what to look for and perhaps what not to look for and then beyond that so we refreshed our training center there and we have, you know, very high-tech uh, molding equipment. We also use it as an incubation site for new programs. So, for example, if we bring in a highly, um, we're about 90% healthcare, Brennan, and then we've got 10% of our businesses in the automotive safety critical space. So, for example, if we have a highly complex insert molding cell that's destined for our Mexico facility, uh, we might bring that molding cell into our process development center and uh, completely turnkey the tooling and the injection molding cell and then we ship it down to our facility in Mexico and it allows for a much quicker startup and a quicker sort of, you know, lead time process. And then um, beyond the process development center, we have been expanding our royalty site on the thermoplastic side. We just completed a 30,000 square foot clean room uh, exclusively designed uh, to support our growing, you know, medical device and diagnostics market. And, and, and so that's that's all complete. That's all done. Um, silicones is still underway. We expect our silicones expansion to be done probably by uh, the July timeframe. Okay, so right around the bend. Yeah. Now, is that that training for your customers? That, that sounds different uh, from your school of technology. And if I understand this right, this is where you're actually training high school students and maybe you know college age students who can some of whom can. You know, jump right into a position with GW on, upon completion, I'm assuming. Yeah, so we call it our School of Tech. We've had it in place for uh, quite a few years now. And essentially what we've done is we've aligned with local area high schools and we're busing students in two days a week for an accredited program on advanced manufacturing. Essentially, we're trying to teach and uh, share you know, what we do from an advanced manufacturing point of view to uh, local high school students and, you know, the wonderful careers that can result from that. And so essentially the students come in with uh, an onboarded uh, teacher from the local high school. And then our, our staff actually does uh, the training with help from the high school teaching community. Mm-hmm. So what we're basically doing is, you know, trying to introduce them to advanced manufacturing. And then beyond that, we're very close to Vermont Technical College, and Vermont Technical College is, is one of the finest technical colleges, you know, in the Northeast in, in the country. They routinely place 98 to 100 percent of their graduates upon graduation, and so we've had a long-standing relationship with them. We've probably got about 25 Vermont Tech uh, graduates, primarily in technical curriculums like you know mechanical engineering types um, curriculums. It could be associate's degrees or, or BSMEs. And what our hope is, is we set the hook with these young students in high school, and then we have a very aggressive scholarship program directed to Vermont Tech. And so be- with our scholarship program, between the scholarship that we give to the lucky student and a paid internship, which is mandatory in terms of getting the scholarship, we completely cover the cost of tuition for the student going to Vermont Tech. And that it's primarily designed for associate uh, degree students so that we can get these kids into our organization, these talented students into our organization a little bit more quickly, but we also do it for BSMEs as well. And then we have one other program, it's uh, which we work with the state of Vermont on as well, 
it's our technology leadership program, and this is for employees that may have not had an opportunity to go to school. Perhaps they started a family and they just didn't have the opportunity to go on to college and get a degree. And so what we try to do and what we are doing in our company is identifying who we think will be our next generation technical leaders. And so it's a program with in conjunction with Vermont Tech where they go to school. They take one class a semester because it's usually at night and these, these associates are working full time at, at our company and they have families and, and it's a four year track almost gets them to an associate's degree. We completely pick up the tab for it. Upon graduation, they have to do a graduation project uh, specific to GW Plastics. It could be a cost savings project. It could be an environmental sustainability project. It could be a variety of different things. They present their projects to guys like me Mm -hmm. and, and my staff, which takes some courage to do that, and they do it. And when they're When they've graduated, uh, we give them a 10% increase in uh, compensation. So um, what's important for us is it really helps us sort of, if they get through this process, because they're taking math courses, they're taking physics, they're taking metrology, they're, you know, they're taking labs. When they get through that curriculum, it really tells us that they've got the chops to, to be our next technical leader. So we have sort of this ecosystem of workforce training and development from high school all the way through you know, existing associates that are hoping to improve their skill set. It sounds like uh, you're filling the pipeline because um, once you told me, you know, you're handing out 50-year service awards, 40-year service awards, and I can see, I can see why you're able to do that when you when you really kind of foster that type of growth uh, at the beginning of someone's uh, career with GW. Well, you know, it's critical because you're right. We're not. We're like. Most companies, uh, most manufacturing companies, we have an aging workforce, and you know you have to really pay attention to that to make sure that you know you're you're building that pipeline. And and we figured out, Brennan, a long time ago that we couldn't recruit our way um, mm. to success in terms of filling the pipeline. It's all about really developing our workforce, and so we've been at this a long time. And I think what's unique a little bit about GW is we put our money where our mouth is. Is we said, you know, we've got to we got to step up and we've got to put uh, we've got to we've got to put some uh, mm. capital into developing our human capital. Yeah. And it took a lot of work and and some funding, but it's uh, it's paying huge dividends. We're really adequately staffing our, our our company worldwide now, and we not only do this in Vermont. We're doing this in the Southwest. We're doing it in Ireland. We're doing it in uh, our, our facilities in Mexico and. Asia. So it's sort of a, you know, it's a global process and an important one. Yeah. I would think if it's working here, it's going to work there as well. Ben, uh, a simple question. Are you traveling right now? And, um, and if so, are your, are your, is your sales team traveling? Are your other executives able to hop on a plane or maybe more realistically grab, you know, jump in a car and go see customers right now? Uh, the short answer is no. Okay. Um, you know, we're doing it uh, virtually like the rest of the world. We're all itching to do it. And uh, we're hoping that things will start to open up perhaps the end of this month and maybe into, you know, into July and August. But uh, at this point, you know, many of our customers are still working virtually and they have, you know, they have policies in place with respect to visitors. And so we, like everyone else, have been a little impaired in that regard. But, you know, we're, we're making it up for it as best we can with, <laughs> with um, Zoom meetings and, and other kinds of uh, meetings. So um, it's working, but it's, you know, we got we, we to gotta be able to, you know, to have face-to-face meetings because um, if we don't, you know, 
I do think you you begin to lose when you begin to lose connectivity, and um, both you know internally and and, and externally, it, it does begin to impact. I think the trajectory of new business and growth, and so we're hoping that we'll get on the other side as quickly. Yeah, yeah, I've heard some creative ideas and practices, but they're really exceptions to the rule where people are playing tennis together or going for long walks, but you can really only do that if you're in the same area code. So, Well, that's true. In the case of Vermont, we still have a 14-day quarantine. So if you come in and stay more than one day, you, you, you've got a quarantine. So, And that's one of the, uh, I think that's one of the uh, things that have really kept um, Vermont and Vermonters safe, mm. particularly as we've been surrounded by extraordinarily high levels of COVID cases in our surrounding states. But, you know, uh, we we got to get that on the we got we got to get to the other side of that you know Vermonters beyond having companies like GW is uh, is a tourist based economy as well and mm. so you know it's a beautiful state people want to come up here in the summer and the, in the winter to ski and so there's a whole industry service industry um, hospitality industry that depends on that so I'm I'm certainly hoping <laughs> is that we can we can get on the other side of that quickly yeah for sure. Well, Ben, when I visited you in Vermont a few years back, I asked you the question, what keeps you up at night? And I'm going to quote you to yourself here. Uh, Your answer was an overwhelming sense of responsibility to get our medical and safety products right the first time because someone's life might depend upon that. So my question is, uh, as the years have uh, ticked by, uh, do you think your answer has changed to what keeps you up at night? Um, or is it about the same? So I would suggest that the answer hasn't changed, but it's a, it's evolved to more contemporary times, <laughs> you know. Yeah. And, uh, you know, clearly, you know, um, in this COVID world, we have not spent a lot of, uh, we have not had a lot, of, a lot of sleep in terms of just making sure our associates are safe company-wide mm-hmm. and, and worldwide. So that continues to be a, a very high priority. And then I think, you know, the uh, the other thing that keeps me up at night and probably every other business leader in the country is when can we uh, when can we get this economy throttled back up again? Because it's absolutely critical to our success as a country, as well as the uh, emotional and uh, and sort of healthcare well-being of, of everybody in the, everybody in this country. We're meant to we're we're meant to be social. We're meant to, mm-hmm. to work. We're meant to produce and make things and provide services. And I, I am of the belief that we can do this and we can do this quickly as long as we do it safely and we have the tools to do it safely in my view. So it's as long as everybody works together and sort of practices things like social distancing safely, we can do it. And we are doing it in Vermont. We're, we're a poster child for what can be done and, and when people work together and uh, put politics aside and just do the right thing. Yeah. Amen. Well, We'll all look to Vermont for the example. It's uh, yeah, your your caseload there for COVID is extremely low, and uh, you guys are obviously doing a lot of the right things. So, well, Ben, thanks for joining me today. My best wishes to you and the entire team at GW Plastics. Thanks for sharing your insights. My pleasure. My thanks to Ben Real, President and CEO at GW Plastics. To find out more about GW visit gwplastics.com. Web producer Aaron Sloan helps produce this podcast. Hattie Shaheda designed our graphics for the website and social media. Andrew Lafferty and Zeke Lafferty recorded our sponsor messages. 
and Grace Lafferty edited our audio. Thank you for listening. What Keeps You Up at Night is brought to you by Plastics News. For more podcasts like this, visit plasticsnews.com slash audio. I'm Brennan Lafferty, publisher of Plastics News. So many of us these days are working from home and we are surrounded by our loved ones. In that spirit, here's my son, Zeke Lafferty, with our closing sponsorship message. What Keeps You Up at Night is brought to you by Plastics News, the essential news source for the plastics industry. Sign up today for a paid subscription to Plastics News. Options include print, digital, or group subscriptions tailored. For your business needs, find out more at plasticnews.com slash subscribe.